It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. And thank you all for joining us today here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. If you are listening to the show on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, and or if you are listening on from one of the other radio stations now carrying Moment of Truth. We welcome you, as well as if you are now listening on the iHeartRadio app, where you can download the app and then follow us anywhere. It's, we're happy to have you with us. and Or if you are listening on your favorite podcast platform. All listeners are welcome here on Moment of Truth. It is also a pleasure to welcome back to the show someone we haven't had on for quite some time. Mr. Drew Hayden Taylor is with us to talk about a new initiative that he has undertaken and will be soon premiering on the Aboriginal People's Television Network. In fact, it's going to be premiering on uh, Saturday, May 8th of this year, 2021. It is a 13-episode series entitled Going Native, starring Mr. Taylor. So it's a pleasure to have Drew with us on the show. Drew, welcome back to the show. Anin, David. Yeah, Ani. Hey, you know, uh, again, you have been busy. You, of course, are an award-winning playwright, novelist, and journalist, and now and filmmaker, and now a TV host. It's great to have uh, this this series coming forward called Going Native. And you know, Drew, throughout your career, as I, I mentioned, you're 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 not only a playwright, a novelist, but you're a humorist as well. And before we get into this show entitled Going Native and why you decided to bring this forward, I was wondering a little bit about humor. Can we talk about humor for a moment? Definitely. Great. I'm wondering, as someone that has been on the stage, writing for the stage, and, and doing things for film, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, what is it like for you to be that person. And what I mean by that is that that person that is in a room with, that, that is being expected to be the humorist. <laughs> well, it's funny you put it like that. On this particular show, Going Native, one of the things they often ask me to do is when we're doing a segment, I have to intro each segment, but I have to wing it because I come up with the intro based on the um, the interview and what we've mm. shot. So after we're finished, one of the one of the uh, the cameraman, the producer, the director, whoever is there, will say to me, "Okay, Drew, uh, we need an intro to the segment. Um, so um, uh, prepare something and be funny." <laughs> You, you've got five minutes. So it's like, oh, 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 crap. So I have to go off and do do something like that. So it can be quite intimidating at, at the time. And I, re- I remember once it was, uh, I think it was Mike Myers, who was, uh, somebody was uh, c- commenting, are you like this all the time? Mm. And he said, no, I am what you call a site-specific extrovert, meaning um, you know, sometimes when I'm just hanging out or whatever, I'm very calm, very slow, kind of funny, maybe here, there, hopefully, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it takes up a lot of energy and a lot of brain, brain space and time. So, uh, I'm funny when I have to be, and I'm calm when I, when I, when I have the time to be. Mm. Right. Well, I appreciate you, you sharing that because I often think about people that are in that position and, and are they, you know, because people are looking at you expecting, Right expecting mm-hmm. the line, expecting something funny to come out of your mouth or expecting that uh, quick 
quip or whatever it might be. And and I and so I was just wondering, geez, what what must it be like for people that are in that position all the time? Well, one of the other things I like to draw um, I like to draw a comparison with is the fact that like my family compared with my family, my mm. my aunts and uncles when they used to be around, or some of my cousins. It's like you know, I'm just I'm just one of a of a <laughs> of a a bunch of people. I'm no funnier, yep. hopefully no less funny, but it's, it's just the nature of my family. And mm. I think it's, it's the nature of most indigenous people that you get a group of us together and we're just always, always doing line liners mm. and, and trying to be funny. And, um, and it's just that I think the nature of, of, of being indigenous, the fact that we find humor in everything. Yeah. Now, you know, I noticed in one of the series that you're doing on the show, Going Native, and, and, and I must say that in terms of the different elements that you find yourself in, in throughout this series, and just to give people a kind of sense of, of the, this 13-part series, it goes from architecture to music to fashion, business. The horses and, <laughs> and, and um, gourmet cooking, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, and I have to say that I, I had to watch this one, and that is one, the one going, going storytelling. Okay. And, and I, if you don't mind me saying, Drew, you seemed the most comfortable in that particular <laughs> episode. Quite possibly. <laughs> uh, we were sitting around, wasn't it uh, Lee Miracle and, uh, and yep. Duncan McHugh yep. and, um, and uh, Columpa. Columpa Bob and yep. I were sitting around a fire just, yep. uh, just tossing stories uh, back and forth at each other? It was, but the, you know where I, where I found you to be the most comfortable, if you do, and this is just my my own perspective as I watched the, the series and, and watched you going through these things was with uh, Ken, Ken Williams, you and him oh. sitting on stage together. <laughs> well, Ken's an old friend of mine. I remember him when he was just starting. And yeah, it's always, one of the one of the, the fringe benefits of the series is the, just the opportunity to hang out with old friends. Mm. As I said, Lee Miracle and Klumpa and, and Duncan are old friends of mine. Hang out with Ken. That yep. was fun. We had, a, we had a good time doing it, making each other laugh. Yeah, yeah, that's that was one of the enjoyable side benefits of this series. Yeah, and and I think that showed up. That's what I guess what I was trying to get to. And I I know Ken too. You know, I used to work with him in Ottawa when uh, when he and I both worked uh, for APTN uh, in news. So uh, right, it was right. Great. It was great to see Ken as well. So getting back to the series and the reason as to why you wanted to bring this forward, who is this being written for? Because there. There's the stories that are that you're telling that are specifically and and really great stories about all the things that Indigenous people are doing. It's great exposing all these these great wonderful people in all these different areas that are that are doing some amazing things for sure. Uh, but do you still think it's because of the stereotype that is out there? Well, it's a number of reasons. One was it, I found it just a wonderful opportunity to highlight the different aspects of the various indigenous communities across this country. I mean, um, we talk about how in this series, you'll meet, meet some of the wild and wacky people. You'll meet some very traditional people. You'll meet some avant-garde people. You'll meet people of every, of many different stripes within our communities that are doing amazing, fun, um, bizarre, spectacular um, things that um, 
need to be highlighted and celebrated. So for indigenous people, this is like, these are probably people in your community you don't know are there. These are gourmets that are using traditional food to, to, to um, using traditional food as a means of keeping our culture and our ways alive. Mm. There are architects that are, that are designing contemporary houses, contemporary buildings using centuries old um, uh, philosophies and technologies. I, you know, and we have people who work with horses. We have um, take, you know, we fashion. One of the things I like about the fashion is that we're basically culturally appropriating the fashion world and the pop culture world. We're culturally appropriating mm. filmmaking and doing indigenous zombie movies, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one of the things we're doing. We're doing um, on one aspect we're, we're, we're highlighting the different aspects of our culture that we are the indigenous people might not be familiar with, but for non-indigenous people, we're creating sort of a window of of uh, that they can look through to see that the, the how the many different facets, the many different um, um, ways and 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 aspects of our culture that they did not think existed that there's so many different ways of exploring our culture and we want to give them a window into those different ways hmm. now you you mentioned across this country but in fact you travel all around north america and uh, you get into some some pretty uh, some pretty great uh, areas of the country and show us some wonderful things uh, from new mexico to the arctic and and all places in between, and and I have to admit that uh, you know the one thing that I that I really thought was interesting uh, was going to the this Winnipeg in in the last years of going beyond and seeing this, the the petro uh, forms and those kind of things that I didn't realize they were there. Neither did I. Yes, wow. um, uh, that's a place near Winnipeg where there's sort of. Um, rocks shaped in very specific designs representing the, the cosmology, the mythology mm. of the local people. I had not known those existed and going there and hearing the stories, the legends, supposedly there's a rock there that's in the shape of a, of a chair that, that uh, the trickster actually sat in at one <laughs> point. Um, no, it, yeah, the, this was as much a learning experience for me as for anybody who's going to watch this series. Thank you for saying that because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you about is is what you have come away with from having gone through this experience and and, and being exposed to all of this thing what what jumps out at you uh, the fact how old and infirm I am. <laughs> we did a we did several segments. We did a canoe segment, and there, at, at various times in the year we shot this. I think it is four different times. I mean, four different kinds of canoes, including a traditional um, uh, a birch bark canoe. And I, I, this is this is not a this is a fifty eight year old body that's not used to. Um, sitting in a canoe and doing things. Another time they had me on horses, riding a horse. I'm, my, I don't come from horse people. So the, the, the more of this show that I was a part of, the more I realized 
again, as I said, how old I am. Uh, in many cases, being the host of a show like this should be a young person's adventure, not an not an old fogey like me. Well, well, at least uh, you know I have to I have to say there were a couple of times when I thought who, who's who's helping Drew, uh, Drew with the show to to make sure he's prepared for some of these outings <laughs> because you know you, you're standing there with your open opened uh, toed uh, sandals and you've got this uh, rattlesnake. Right I know, <laughs> I know. You should have seen the camera. Like I didn't know we were going to do this, and the cameramen are just shaking. Their head, but eh, whatever. Whatever happens, happens. It's just another story to tell the grandkids. Yeah, make sure you get it on tape, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, having said that, I'm glad you brought up the crew. I wanted to ask you about the crew and and what was that like? Because you're going out into the wild, some of these places. You know, when you went uh, going bush, you were out there with a guy. Uh, you know, building that lean to. Uh, what was the crew like with you? Is it is it, is it a single person? How did how did that work? Well, basically, we have two cameramen, and 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 they do the sound too. Mm. And frequently, we have one or two of the producers with us, and myself. And uh, I, I mean, you know, this is a great uh, this was a great opportunity to, to to hang together, to learn each other. I mean, driving through the American Southwest, mm. driving through the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, we really bonded. And these are very very experienced, knowledgeable crew um, who knew what they were doing, and they made the uh, they made a lot of the the um, the segments we were doing so easy and so fun too, mm. and had a great sense of humor. Mm. And uh, one of one of them is is Métis, so we would uh, he was sort of giving giving us the Métis perspective on all the things we were doing. Um, yeah, the crew was just amazing, and I find it such so beautifully shot too. Mm, it thanks is. to uh, Sam Carney, the the director of photography, he just sort of brings a very unique and beautiful eye when he was shooting things. You mentioned Métis. When you spoke to the Métis guy and the sashes uh, and what he was doing... That uh, they were made in Peru. Yeah, and how he was helping people down there. I thought that was a really cool story. I know. Now, that's that's international cooperation if I've ever yep. heard it. For those who aren't familiar with what we're talking about, there's a, there's a Métis businessman who... Um, who sells sashes and belts and all sorts of things, usually associated with traditional Meiki culture. But in order to make them, he has them made in Peru at this um, isolated village by the indigenous people of that community. And he pays them a good, solid wage to the point where many of the people who are mostly single mothers mm-hmm. um, are, are able to um, send their kids to real school, are able to buy housing, are able, are able to live a decent life in, 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 a, in a country, in a community where single Indigenous mothers frequently have nowhere to go or, or find it difficult to survive. So that's one of those just win-win situations. And it's a wonderful story, not only because of that, Drew, but because of the the example he is setting as a business person because it's pointed out in that particular story about you know not as long only is he helping these people and paying them a good wage as you mentioned that they can then help 
maybe put their kids through school, which they didn't have the opportunity to do. But the thing, yeah, that, and then they, you know, what do they call it? Pay it forward, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is definitely a win-win situation. He, he makes enough money that he his company can survive, that he can pull a salary, and that he can help these people survive. And so I just, I personally, as a humorist, I just love the irony of this traditional Métis apparel is being made by um, by Peruvian Indians, mm. for lack of a better term. And and it's a it's a it's a it's a happy story. It is the 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 thing that got me though because you asked him and I think it was brought up. How long have you been doing this? I've been doing this for thirteen years and I have yet to take home a salary. That's what I was getting at in terms of. There's a guy who, not only paying it forward, but he is putting others before himself. He doesn't think about his own profit first. He's thinking about others and helping others. And yet he is keeping his business going and keeping yeah. himself alive. That's what I thought was really cool about that. I know. I totally, I totally agree. It's these, it's these, uh, these stories, these stories are one of the reasons we do something like this, where you, you, you see one person helping another group of people and, um, it, it, it hopefully lights a way for other people to do the same thing. I think they're, they're shining examples of what, uh, has been missed in this world of of profit only. Mm-hmm. You know? Totally, totally. Now, uh, also, uh, Drew, you mentioned the writing, and you're involved with the writing. Now, um, tell me about that. Tell me, go back to the beginning of this. How did it all come about? Um, well, um, two of the producers, uh, Kurt Spinrath and um, Paul Kemp, we've worked on a couple of projects prior to this. We worked on a documentary called Searching for Winnetou about mm. the German fascination with North American Aboriginal culture. And it right. was very, very successful. And then we followed that up with another documentary. These are for CBC uh, documentaries, the show called POV. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we, the second documentary we did was sort of um, based on a play I wrote called Cottagers in Indians. Yep. And it dealt with um, sort of native, non-native interactions, uh, conflicts regarding land and water usage. And um, basically, APTN really liked our style of, of how we're approaching it, how we're dealing with it. And they, they asked us to submit a proposal for a series. And so we did that. We decided to call it Going Native. And they really liked the proposal. And they gave us the money to go ahead and do this and they liked uh, they liked what we did the first season they liked so much that it gave us money to do a second season without the first season uh, even being um um broadcast because the first episode of season one um is being broadcast on may 8th right. so the, the, they were so confident with the final product that they said go ahead and do a second season that's great that's good news okay. And that's what I'm doing here in uh, in Winnipeg. We we're, we're starting production on season two. Oh, great! That's that's great. Um, and, and yeah, I know there was a bit of a, a trick uh, trying to get the uh, this this interview set up with you because I know you were traveling and you were you were doing some things. So yeah. uh, I'm very grateful that we were able to finally get the time to do this. I'm just going to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and my guest here on the show is Drew Hayden-Taylor. We're talking about a new series that he is hosting, and it will be premiering on Saturday, May 8th on APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network, is entitled Going Native. And uh, Drew, of course, is an award-winning playwright, novelist, journalist, and filmmaker. He's from Curve Lake. Normally, I get, you're still living on Curve Lake? 
For the most part, yes. Beautiful, beautiful little community. I love it. It's a great little place. It's home sweet home. <laughs> For sure. And uh, as Drew mentioned, some of those uh, things that he has uh, created in the past, cottagers and Indians, we mentioned some of the some of the, the ones and, and going to be coming up. We talked about architecture and music and fashion and business and uh, and storytelling. And you know, as you, as you and I were talking, Drew, this all seems that it comes back to storytelling. Everything, every even going into the business thing, the fashion, because everything that you touch on has another story attached to it. Well, that's just it. Stories are inter are, are intermingled. One can lead to another. Can lead to another. Mm. Can lead to another. If you have a you know a traditional storyteller, they can they can start on one story and it'll seamlessly weave into another story and just keep going for days and days. If if you had days and days to listen to a story, and usually they do last that long, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that old adage of uh, what is it? Um, you should only tell stories in the wintertime mm. um, because uh, mosquitoes love stories. <laughs> okay, Drew, there's some other things I wanted to ask you about. Humor as a tool for healing and inclusion. And you point that out in the episode of Storytelling Itself. You talk about how you like to bring all of those things because you believe it's a way of making people people uncomfortable, but as well as, as getting those other elements out there that need to be brought out and need to be shared about the past and about, because you can't, you can't start moving forward until you get all of this, those things out there. Is there a time when humor is not appropriate? Oh, I think so. I mean, yeah, yes, uh, you know, um, yes and no. I mean, you would your your first the first reaction is to say um, a funeral, but yet I have been to some funerals where the where where the funny that's when people laugh the most. Mm. I remember when my mother passed away, mm. and then we were seeing the um, the the. Like, what do you call it? The um, funeral director about yes. planning my mother's funeral. And I was there with him and my partner and two aunts and two cousins. And they're all women. And we were sitting there planning my mother's funeral. And we all started, we were, we were all laughing because we were remembering my mother, what she would like, what she wouldn't like, what would embarrass her. And we were laughing very, very loud. And of course, downstairs, there was a wake happening, mm. but we were all laughing. And finally, we managed to get through the meeting and figure out how to have the funeral. And as we stood up to leave, the um, the funeral director stood up, reached over, shook my hand, and he said to me, I don't get to say this very often, but that was fun. Mm. So yes, there is a time not to be funny, but I think it's 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 just the 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 way Native people are. We find strength, we find healing in humor. Yes, indeed, very true. So, can you tell us a little bit about what we might expect from the second season? Well, we're it's it's in flux right now because of this whole COVID thing. Yeah, it's been a very very been much of a pain. We wanted to start shooting this. We got the go ahead last spring or summer, mm. and we've been wanting to shoot since the fall. But for obvious reasons, we haven't been. Right. So right now, we're just working on a couple of um, interesting episodes. Um, um, I'm just trying to think here. Like we're you know, for instance, I'm going to the Inuit uh, art gallery. Oh here. yeah, 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 and, yeah. Um, that's going to be really exciting. I talked with Negan Sinclair about 
about this popularity of indigenous comic books and graphic novels. One of the other things we're very interested in doing, if we can pull it off um, by the end of the year in this year of COVID, is one of the one of the things we've come across is one of the ways of of, of expressing a dissatisfaction with the dominant culture, with the settler culture um, in many different countries around the world is through heavy metal. There's a lot of indigenous heavy metal artists in Canada, in the States, in Australia, New Zealand, in, in Central America, in Peru, who are basically heavy metal artists, but they're indigenous and they're, they're singing about the, the problems with society. And we're hoping at some point to do a story on that, but it depends when we, when we, we can travel. Yeah, for sure. I, I can well imagine. How else has the, the COVID situation been affecting you personally? Uh, well, actually, you know, um, because I haven't had the opportunity to travel a lot because of this for this show or to do lecture or whatever, I've actually caught up on a lot of writing. In the past year, I've written a novel. I've written a collection or edited and compiled a collection of, of uh, essays. Um, then the post-production on the first season of Going Native, I've written a bunch of articles and essays for the Globe and Mail. Um, I have uh, written two plays, and I'm just right now adapting um, one of my plays into a feature film. So I've been keeping busy. Yeah, that, that's great. And I've heard, you know, this is a, an ideal time in some ways for doing those kind of things, isn't it? I think so. I mean, yeah, I get to be at home focused, not as much traveling. And uh, yeah, I, I know a lot. I remember talking with um, one of the publishers at Random House. Um, penguin last summer saying i bet you in in like this time next year there'll be an explosion of babies of divorces and novels yeah <laughs> and she said i can't speak about uh babies or divorces but she said i'm a little i don't i'm not sure about novels because a lot of my writers are very um stressed out and and mm. and nervous about this whole covid thing mm. that they're not able to find their their inner muse to write. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I, I had I had no difficulty sitting down and writing. Yes, I, I've heard that uh, from different people. Of course, this stress affects people differently and uh, mm -hmm. artists are no different. Uh, which leads me to another thing because of the work that you've been doing and the creativity that you have ha had and been able to focus on. And that is from this process of, of going and getting involved with uh, going native, and the things that you've been seeing and experiencing. Has that brought forward new ideas for you in terms of potential new projects that might come out of this on a personal level for you? Oh, yes. One of the things I always tell up-and-coming writers, young writers who, who are looking for advice on how to be a writer, I always try and tell them, try and lead an interesting life. If you spend all your time in the basement playing video games, you're not going to have a heck of a lot to write about. So go out and see the world and have adventures and that will help you with it when you're when you're sitting down and writing. So even at my age, uh, going going out and seeing the world, it still provides provides me with experience, with fodder for new stories. Definitely. Mm. Now, exactly what you just said there. Uh, the fact that you have traveled the world, you've out you've been out there, you've seen things already in the last thirty years of your life, and and the wonderful experiences that you've been able to have. And now with this series, it, it, it all seems that there is so much even here in North America that, one, we don't know about, 
two hasn't been explored, and three should be getting out there. And I, I'm that's just from what I've seen of watching the series. And I'm wondering right. how that has been for you. Well, I think I, like like anything else, like, you know, our sense of humor, our writing, whatever. I think with, uh, between the many different variations of indigenous culture and settler culture, there are more similarities than differences. We can go all the way back to Joseph Campbell and the hero has a thousand faces and the archetypal mm. storylines, stuff like that. Or just the fact that I think um, whenever I was in somewhere, some far off land, there was an interest in North American average culture. There was a fascination with us, and there was there are many similarities. And mm. like you, whatever culture you go to, there's a sense of family. Mm. They have their own sense of humor. Um, the 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 use of, of of ingredients coming from the local land into making tasty cuisine. So there is more similarities than differences, I think, out there. And that's one of the things I really learned as uh, as I traveled across this. This uh, blue marble. Drew, it has been fascinating speaking with you. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show and sharing about Going Native and the new series that you are hosting, which, as I mentioned, is going to be premiering on Saturday, May 8th. Do we know what time it's going to be premiering? 8.30, I believe. 8.30 p.m. is roughly what Drew thinks it's going to be. And (laughs) I want to thank you greatly uh, for for coming on the show, talking about this, and wish you all the best in the future with, with everything else that you're going to be involved with, Drew. Till next time, my friend. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. All right. Ona. That is the voice of Drew Hayden Taylor. He is an award-winning playwright, novelist, and journalist, as well as filmmaker. He is from Curve Lake First Nation. We got a hold of him in Winnipeg, where he is starting season two of Going Native, which is premiering on APTN Saturday, May 8th, a 13-episode series. And i got to tell you, from what I saw, it's a fun, entertaining, and educational, and I encourage everyone to watch it. And that is this part of the show, but please don't go away, because after the break, we're going to be coming back with more right here on Moment of Truth. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. All right, we're back, and you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and if you download the iHeartRadio app, you can take us with you anywhere you go. Well, it is a pleasure to welcome back to the show someone that I had promised that I would have back on the show. And it's been a couple of years, I can't believe it, but uh, (laughs) Mr. Danny Stone is here on the show. Now, originally, I met Danny when he came onto the show, uh, not to talk about what we're going to be talking about today. He came on to talk about zero gun violence and the zero gun violence movement in Toronto. Is that correct, Danny? Yeah, that's right. And that's got to be, uh, what was it, I guess 2019, wasn't it? I think so. I think it was, <laughs> yeah, t- 2019. <laughs> and when when we left, uh, we finished the interview, and when we were leaving, you and I got a, in a bit of a conversation. We were talking, and, uh, and it ended up you telling me about the fact that you... Um, you, you had other things on the go, that you were doing other things. And uh, you ended up sending me a book in the mail, which I don't believe I asked for, but you sent it to me. And <laughs> and I'm glad you did. And it is called You Have the Keys, Now Drive. And you are the author of this book. And uh, 
and I finally got around to reading it. Of course, it's been a while because this wasn't something we scheduled. It wasn't something we had planned to do. But but you sent me this book, and I always knew I wanted to have you back on the show and talk about this because I was intrigued from the the very name of the title, You Have the Keys, Now Drive. Danny, it's, it's great to have you on the show and, and talk to you about this book because this book is a self-help book, of course. And it it talks about the habits and the things that people need to do. And I love the simplicity of that idea of that you are, if you're not in the driver's seat of your life, you have to be in the driver's seat of your life in order to get things going and to become the best person you can become and to live the dreams that you want to live in your life. Right. So, Danny, how did this all start for you? When did this idea and when did you see that you needed to put this together in order to help other people? Well, David, thanks for having me back. It's great to be back with you. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I think that I've always been somebody who's been helping people. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I go by Coach Stone. A lot of people call me Coach Stone. (laughs) And, you know, I think about my very first job at 14 years old coaching four and five-year-olds and mentoring them. That was my very first job at 14. Wow. So I bought, yeah, <laughs> it was actually a paid job with Parks and Recreation. So I actually got a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've always been in the people helping business. And what I realized with my own journey, growing up in low-income housing, surrounded by drugs and crime and, you know, lots of friends in, in and out of jail and I lost friends to gun violence. And, you know, finally moving through that situation and you're going to university, dropping out of university and somehow finding myself working in the corporate world, managing training and coaching people without a university degree. I just realized that at that point that I had been able to achieve some things that I never thought I could do. And along the way, you know, I've had conversations with people and given them coaching and guidance and they've achieved things that they never thought they could do. And so I thought, why not just put it in a book? (laughs) So I just started writing in, in literally about 12 weeks, I put the book together. Really? That's, wow, that's a fast turnaround. Yeah, I I wrote the book and this is what, and this is why I tell people, you know, you you have the keys now drive. It's about getting out of the passenger seat Mm. and, and stop allowing fear and other people's opinions and the failures and the mistakes to drive the decisions that you make in your life and then start allowing your hopes and your dreams and your desires and, and your goals and the things that you want to drive your life. Hmm. And so I just basically said, now's the time. And I wrote the book on my iPhone and my iPad going to and from work every day. Wow. So when you were 14, and you got this paying job, was that tough for you to have a legitimate job and see people around you that were doing other things that were maybe making more money, but it wasn't a great life that, as you point out in your book, by taking advantage of others and keeping other people down or putting other people down? Yeah, it was tough. You know, growing up in in that type of environment, there was a lot of drug dealers. Um, A lot of my friends had older brothers who were drug dealers. So, I was the oldest in my family, which made it even more challenging. A lot of people don't Mm. even think about that, but all of their older brothers were giving them stuff, right? They were giving them the nicest clothes or jewelry or, Mm. you know, giving them drugs to sell. And and Mm. I never had that. So I would, it was almost like I was in two different worlds, right? You know, I, I was in this one world where I was 
doing all these things I wasn't supposed to be doing. Hang, it was on, I, I guess you could call it a gang. And then the other world was I was seeing what was happening in the community and I was like, this isn't right. And so what can I do? And, you know, I started coaching and teaching and mentoring and eventually working for the Boys and Girls Club and the YMCA, you know, working with young people. But it was always a challenge. Mm. And at 18 years old, that's when I really made a decision. I had already gotten arrested three times. Mm. Uh, I had a bunch of my friends were in and out of jail. Mm. I lost some friends to gun violence. And, you know, I always tell people, we we always have older people around us that drop these gems on us and we don't pay attention. Mm. And uh, my grandmother, she passed away years ago, but she was this little tiny Jamaican woman. And she would always just say these things to me and just walk off. (laughs) And I would say, well, what does that mean? And she would just walk away. You figure it out. And so she always used to say, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Right. And, you, you know, you're, you're strong enough to walk your own path. But she would never say what it meant. Right. And it just hit me once when I was 18 years old. It, that's when it kind of all hit me. And I realized what she was saying. Mm. And at that moment, I had to make a decision which way I was going to go. Uh, continue to, to hang on the streets and be a drug dealer or go to university. And uh, I chose to go to university. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned your grandmother. I was going to bring her up for exactly the the uh, comment and the uh, quote that you made about her saying, you know, show me your friends and, uh, and I'll tell you who you are. Uh, it, it's an interesting comment. It makes you reflect, of course, on yourself. It makes you reflect on other things. Your, your book does that a lot. It makes uh, you reflect on yourself. And in fact, you, throughout this book, give people exercises to do and make them think uh, carefully about who they are, what's important to them, what, what, what their goals are, what their dreams are. And you also point out that making change in your life is not an easy thing, just as you ha- have said in your own life. That, but, but, you know, you don't leave anybody out either. And what I mean by that is you, you say, whether it's your, your family, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your friends, whoever it might be, if they're holding you back, you have to remember that it's not their dream you're living. It's your dream. It's your life that you are living or being held tra- back from pursuing. And you need to make those changes. They are they are big challenges uh, for people, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the reason why most of us are afraid to take action on a big dream is, is fear of failure. Mm. And that goes back to the fear of what other people are going to say and think about you, especially those closest to you. Mm. And so for some of us, we realize that we have people like that. The minute we tell them a goal or a dream, mm. they tell us all the reasons it's not going to work. Right. And here's what we have to understand. Sometimes some of those people are, they mean to hate on you. Like they, 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 they're doing it on purpose. But a lot of times they don't. What's happening is how can somebody be happy for you that you're brave enough to get out there and actually do something to better yourself when they know there's things that they need to do, but they're just not ready to do it. Mm. So it's easier for them to tell you all the, all the reasons why it's not going to work for you than it is for them to actually look in the mirror and say, yes, I know I have to get back, you know, get my health back. Yes. I know I got to get out of this job and find another one. Yes. I've been talking about writing this book. It's easier for them to just, write you off than it is for them to actually step up and take action and do it themselves. Right. So we have to put distance between us and those individuals and look for people who are goal getters, G O A L. 
Mm-hmm. Who are the people out there in your community, whether it's online? Who are the friends, the family members, the mentors, the people in these groups on Facebook or LinkedIn that you can connect with that will encourage you and lift you up and inspire you? You know, the the, the thing about the, the, the book that we're talking about, uh, you have the keys now drive and you, you talk about this, the habits and the things that, that people need to do to make those changes. But you also point out that, you know, once you do are committed to that once you do start to take make that change that you might be surprised by the people around you once they see that you are committed to it that they might also rise to that occasion and either make the change along with you or realize that what i'm saying is you might see the truth about the situation i can give you tons of examples for me and lots of my coaching clients and people who've read the book who've sent me messages there's so many examples of that Mm. you know the first thing i want to say about you know following your goals and chasing your goals and your dreams is this progress equals belief Mm. progress equals belief Mm. and as another friend of mine mario says it takes many moments of momentum to achieve your goals So what it is, what I'm saying is that you don't even believe that your goals are possible until you start to make progress. Right. And as you make progress, you start to believe, well, maybe I can do this thing. And the biggest misconception out there is that you got to just believe in yourself. That's one of the biggest lies we've ever been told. Mm -hmm. How many people have started something completely scared? (laughs) You know, how many people have just went out? Some of our heroes some of the people who are running these multi-billion dollar companies, they never knew they could do that. Right. But it was through progress. They started to believe more and more and more. Right. Think about it. You have to lose 100 pounds. You don't believe that you can lose that 100 pounds, especially if you've had that weight for years. Mm. So you wake up today and you go for a walk and you do a little bit of exercise. And maybe at the end of the week, you lost two pounds. Mm. You're like, okay, maybe. Mm. Then a month later, you lost 10. Right. You start to believe it more and more with your progress. Right. And so that's the thing for most of us. And then if it works that way for you, it works that way with other people. Once they start to see what you're doing and they start to see that you're committed and you're dedicated and they start to see the results, then one of two things happen. Again, they stay stuck and they they hate on you for, for trying to better themselves because they're not ready. Or they step up and they start to do things in their life that... They know that they've been meaning to do. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, you can also listen on the iHeartRadio app. If you download the app, you can take us with you anywhere you go. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Danny Stone. And you can find him online at I Am Danny Stone if you want to check out more about him. We're talking about his book, and it's uh, entitled You Have the Keys, Now Drive Five Keys and Five Habits to Personal Change. And I was very honored by Danny to send me this book and to be able to read through it and see the things that are in there. Now, Danny was just talking about belief and progress. And uh, one of the things he talks about in the book also is the support system that people need around them in order to to move forward as well. Yeah, I call it a life support network or uh, an accountability crew. Mm. Um, The reason why people achieve things that they never thought were possible is usually because of some type of accountability, whether it's, you know, a coach, a mentor, somebody close to you. That's the reason why you continue to keep going, even when you feel like quitting. Uh, So I would say, but it's also accountability to a greater mission and purpose. 
you know, so it's accountability to people who check in on you, but it's also like, why are you doing this? And I think that's the biggest challenge for many of us. We, we have all of these goals and these hopes and the dreams, and we don't really know why mm. it's not connected to something bigger, right? Because when it's connected to something bigger, you, you have this accountability where you just, you just have to keep going because you know, people are counting on you. Mm. And so accountability or a life support network is, 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 is major because it, it, on those days where you just don't feel like getting up and taking action, you can check in with those people or they check in with you or, you know, every week that you, you have to report back to somebody and you have to have something done. Mm. The book follows a very direct line of how to get started. And it also takes you through the idea. And as, as I said, it gives you exercises at the end, end of each of the chapters. You can also go online because Danny's got this whole thing online. It, it's a way of getting to know yourself as well, isn't it? This, this whole process of, of working through this book. Well, it absolutely is. I mean, when, when do we spend time getting to know ourselves? Mm. We're always busy working, taking care of our families, you know, doing all the things we need to do. When's the last time you actually sat down and thought about, you know, what's so great about yourself, the, 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 th- the, your journey, the things that you've overcome, your skills? We don't do that. And so I designed the book to be short and to be to the point. And at the end of every chapter, there are activities that you do right now. So you start working. And when you buy the book, you can uh, you get access to some free downloads and you can go and download them. But it's a workbook. It's not a passive read. It's like if you're really looking to shift your life in a big way or change your life, uh, I designed the book to really get you to look at yourself because, I mean, where else would you start? (laughs) You have to start with yourself. Right. But so many of us start with other things. It's like this person over here is doing that. So I'm going to do what they do. And then Mm. they're doing this and I'm going to do what they do. And then my best friend said he's doing that. But we don't we have to stop and look at ourselves. Mm. Right. What do we really want? Who are we really? Who are we showing up in the world as? Yeah. How do you become a heightened version of yourself? What is the big gift that you have to share with the world? Yeah, that's one of the things you do point out in the book as well, is what is that gift and, and what is the, that that you can offer to the world? Is that something you have found from the people that have read this book and worked through it and the people you've worked with, Danny, that people get lost? They don't n- tend to know who they are anymore? I mean, absolutely, David. We, we get so tied up with the roles that we play in our lives. Like, think about it. If you've ever lost a job or you know someone who's lost a job, it's our identity. You are not your job. You are not, you know, the roles that you play in your in your life. You're, you're somebody outside of that. And I think for a lot of us, we just get so caught up with just going through the motions every day. We, we get we get away from who we are. We forget. We forget. You know, I had a, I had a good friend of mine who was going through a rough patch in his marriage and you know, he lost his job and some other things. And I said, well, who were you before you got married? Who were you before you came a, became a father? Mm. And he took a few weeks. He's like, I need, I need to think about this. And he, <laughs> he thought about it for a few weeks and he came back and he's like, that was such a powerful question. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just relearned all of these things about myself. I love art. I love all of these other things. And, mm. and so I think that's what it is. We, we have to get back to like, who are we outside of the roles that we play in our life? Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That is a really good、uh, example of the, the kind of thing that this book does in terms of questioning. I, I really like that because you do point out exactly what you just said. Who were you before you became a father? Before you got married? What are the things that? Who 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 were you at the core?、Um, yeah. And and yeah, it's it's a great、uh, it's a great way to make you think about yourself. And as you say, put some time into yourself. However, I also liked what you say in this book about giving back because that's different than giving back. Giving back is is something that you. You give, but you get at the same time. Whereas most of the time, we're running around, we're doing things, we're doing chores, we're we're going to work, we're doing things that have to be taken, you know, in order to put food on the table, those kind of things. But you know, you talk about the idea about、uh, getting involved and giving back to others. Well, yeah, I think what you just described is there's things that you have to do, and there's things that you want to do,、mm. <laughs> right?、Mm-hmm. You know, you have to get up and take care of yourself and take care of your family and go to work. And you do want to to a certain extent, but、sure. when you give of yourself, that's because you want to. Yeah, you want to, you know, be of service to other people because that's what we're here for. The end of the day, we're all here to serve others. That's that's what life is about, right? You're here to serve others, help others, you know, help people move forward in life. Use your knowledge, your skills, you know, your experience, your volunteering, your money. To help not only your family and your community, but to help others who need the help.、Mm-hmm. And I and I think when you're feeling stuck and you you don't know where to go, or you're feeling just like you're living in the middle, and you, you know you, you're trying to figure it out, one of the best things that you can do is be of service to other people, because now you start to see yourself through the eyes of people that you're helping, and sometimes that sparks something within you to get back to who you are and to、mm-hmm. start. You know, asking yourself deeper questions and so on. So,、mm-hmm. I found that really, people who are stuck sometimes when they get out there and they help other people, that's when they really get back to learning who they are or who they're trying to become. Hmm. Interesting. You know, the other thing your book talks about is the importance of routines. You know, having a morning routine, having a nighttime routine, and sticking to it. Yeah. You know, I, I think. Well, I should have called. You have a morning routine, and I should have called the the bedtime routine uh, uh, rituals. Okay. So the morning ritual,、yeah. and I should have called the the bedtime routine a ritual because、right. there's a difference between routines and rituals, and、mm. people often interchange them, but they're not the same thing. Right. Yeah, right. A morning routine is the things that you have to do to get ready for work. You have、right. to get up. You have to shower. You have to eat. All of these things. A ritual is something that you do intentionally. Yes. That is going to bring you more peace, calm, joy, clarity in your life. And most of us start our day on other people's terms. The alarm goes off. We hit snooze ten times, or we flip open the phone and look at social media, or we turn on the news or the radio. It's on other people's terms instead of starting on our own terms.、Mm-hmm. So waking up, I you know there's there's eight M's, but I often talk about four M's: meaning, meditation, mantra, and movement. Right. Right, you wake up. You're grateful for some things.、Mm-hmm. You you do a quick meditation just to focus on yourself and what you want for the day. Your mantra. What is that powerful affirmation that you're saying to yourself when you're getting ready? And then some type of exercise because exercise releases endorphins and the things that make you feel good. So now when you start the day on your own terms, it doesn't matter what happens outside of that because you started on your own terms, taking care of yourself first. So it reduces stress. It helps you get more focus, more clarity. All of these things, and a lot of people don't start their day on their own terms. They start on other people's terms. 
Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, Danny, you, you yourself are uh, a certified coach. You, uh, you also are uh, a life coach, I guess, for people. Is that right? Yeah, I'm a life coach, a business coach, career coach. I do all types of coaching. <laughs> right. And, you know, going back to that one question that you pointed out earlier that you said about your friend, who were you before you became a father, before you got married? What have you heard from other people that have gone through this process and worked with your book uh, to to hear that they have found out about themselves? David, uh, I can't even, sometimes I'm in tears when I get this. Mm. First of all, the books reach readers in eight countries, eight or nine countries. So oh. I get messages sometimes from people and they're crying and, and they're just saying like, I've just realized so much about myself, all of these blockers, these things that I, I had locked away. Mm. You know, I, I never thought I was worthy. Mm. You know, I had one friend who was a TV producer who realized that she didn't want to be a TV producer. She goes, no, this isn't me. She quit her job and became a really amazing photographer. Mm. And she's like, your <laughs> book just gave me the boost that I needed to get back to understand who I, who I really am. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a job title. I'm more than that. Mm. And so I get stories like this all the time of people just saying, man, I, I, they just realized who they are. Right. And uh, really tearful messages. And, and I'm just really kind of blessed and honored to be a part of their, their journey. That story you just told about that person that transitioned and, and took that leap. It, it makes me think about the people that might want to be, you know, making these changes and doing things, but being afraid because they don't know if they're going to be successful or if there'll be another job they're waiting for them if they make this change or will there be an employment for them, right? Uh, you made it, you just gave it a perfect example of, a, of this woman as a TV producer got, went on to become a, a photographer. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is you also point out that if you follow that dream, if you if you pursue those things, it, it's almost a, a given that even though you can't see where it's going, you will land on your feet. There will be something there. You will survive and you will probably thrive. Absolutely. I mean, when you ask people who are coming to the end of their life, what, you know, what do they wish they had done? And there's always a regret about not trying something. Mm. It's not that I tried this and I failed. It's right. that I didn't even try. Yeah. And so for many of us, we look at life like it's a report card. We need all A's. <laughs> That's mm. not how life works. Right. Right. Sometimes you're going to get a B, a C, an F, and it's okay because even when you fail, it's, it's learning and preparation for success in the future. And so I think so many of us just look at that. We're just so afraid that what if it doesn't work out? Right. If it doesn't work out, that's fine. Right. You can find something else. You can do something else. Right. And we talk ourselves out of even trying, right? Right? Because here's the thing: when you when it come, when you're talking about transitioning out of a job, for instance, there's so many ways to do that. You don't have to quit your job today and start <laughs> your business tomorrow. You can start a side hustle, do it on the side, and yeah. then when it gets to a point where you're ready to leave, you can. But yeah. we don't see that because we 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 talk ourselves out of it. Right? Right? You need to have the discipline to follow your curiosity. Right? Whatever you're curious about. Yes. You have to be disciplined enough to take action on that thing. Oh, yes. Good point. I love that idea about curiosity. That was something else that stood out to me in the book because we're very curious when we're young. Uh, you, you mentioned that earlier about uh, the, the, the child in us and that, and that curiosity that we have and, and the big dreams and the idea that, you know, a child doesn't look at a failure as a failure. If it doesn't right. work, they, they still they try a different way. They just they right. don't even think about it. 
and we've forgotten that in our lives. And 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 I like that you said, yeah, you know, we have to look at life with curiosity, and 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 just keep that curiosity first and foremost when we when we approach things. Well, I think one of the philosophies that I have and I've learned in coaching is that none of us are broken. We're all naturally creative, mm. curious, resourceful, and whole. And when you understand that, that you're naturally curious and creative, that that's what we're meant to be. And I think sometimes that's what, why people feel stuck in life, because they're not tapping into their curiosity and their creativity. Mm. You know, you go to your job, they tell you how to do your job and you just know how to do it. But where in your life are you being creative? Where are you being curious? Where are you trying new things, stepping outside of your comfort zone? A lot of people don't do that. Right. And so we have to learn to tap back into that curiosity and that creativity and become explorers because that's what we are as humans. Mm. Danny, it's been fascinating speaking with you, and I really want to thank you for coming on the show to talk about uh, your book, uh, You Have the Keys, Now Drive, Five Keys and Five Habits to Personal Change. But also because uh, if people want to find out more about you, they can go to imdannystone.com. And also uh, there they will find out a lot more about the things that you're involved with, the things that you do. It's on Amazon. Uh, it really is a great book to to make you look at yourself, uh, you know, all kinds of ways of, of trying to reach within yourself to try to get the best part of you to come out so that you can make those changes and move forward in a positive way, in a healthy way to become the best possible person you can be. So, uh, Danny, thank you for this book and thanks for the, the great work that you're doing. And, um, and I look forward to maybe having you back on the show at a later date. I'm sure COVID has brought up a, a bunch of new challenges that maybe you're seeing that we can uh, talk about uh, in the Absolutely. future as well. Absolutely. David, thank you so much for having me on the show. And, and thank you for really kind of diving into the book and really, you know, learning and, and, and seeing what it's all about. So I really appreciate you having me on today. You bet. You bet, Danny. Take care. And thank you for initially throwing that out to me years ago, because <laughs> otherwise we <laughs> wouldn't welcome. be having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's Danny Stone. And as I say, you can find out more by going online to, to see imdannystone.com. And there you can find out more. Check out his book. You have the keys, now drive. As he said, it is on Amazon. And that is our show for today here on Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. Thank you for listening to the show each and every day. And we will see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.